Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and we've got a bit of a different podcast, a very different podcast, I would say. I'm really excited about it, so let's not delay. Let's introduce the guys. Uh, he's clearly spent too much time in Denver because he's a trader and has two Denver Broncos in his starting lineup for fantasy football. Jacob Allen is on the podcast. Uh, I'd ask how you're doing, man, but I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely concerned about you. Are you okay out there? I know we're not a fantasy football insider, but... Fantasy football inside report here. The Broncos are going to run the ball a lot this year, and that's why I put their defense in and their running back because I was like, hey, they're not going to try to run the score up. They're going to have limited possessions. It's a good recipe for a good defense. He also uh, believes that the Raiders do, in fact, have the Chiefs number because why wouldn't you save your daddy's number? Sam is with us. How are you, bud? I'm doing pretty good. You know, after today's uh, debacle of releasing a player and then wishing him happy birthday, um, it just continually questions what's going on with the Raiders. And just to make a side note, Jacob, I also have a Denver Broncos running back, so I'm right there with you. And I am Sean Deegan, and true to form, I have already had four individual trade offers in two separate fantasy football leagues be completely ignored with no response. Come on, people, just give me an answer. You know who you are. Kind of tease this last week that given that we have this extra bye week now that we don't have a fourth preseason game, we've kind of beaten everything else to death. We're really just waiting for football. And so we've been talking the last couple of weeks about doing something a little bit different. And uh, since we're an audio only podcast, you guys can't see the zoom call that we're on, which actually includes a fourth person. I'd like to introduce to everyone, a dear friend of mine, Sam Kendrick. This is going to be a little weird. We've got two Sams on it. So Kendrick, you're going to be Kendrick tonight. Thank you for offering up your last name's tribute. Uh, How are you, man? I am good. I am beyond excited to be here. I have listened to this podcast religiously. It's become a part of my Thursday day ritual, basically. I was absolutely thrilled that yes, that y'all asked me to be on here. Well, we're pumped to have you. Um, before we dive into to why you're here, Sam, because I do think that you present some very interesting stuff. Uh, I do want to give a quick, give you a chance to shout some things out here because um, this is not your traditional podcast, but you are a part of a startup um, that is, is really unique. Um, it's a very interesting kind of thing. If you wouldn't mind giving us a little more information about um, the startup you're a part of, which involves folklore, maybe give us a brief explanation of what that is. So the startup that I'm a part of is called Folkwise. Folklore, for me, is basically just being professionally curious about people and what they do. I have just come off a year-long project for the Library of Congress, um, going around interviewing crop dusters. I did that with my mom. Um, we got this, what is basically the fellowship to get in, in this, this academic field. And so just coming off of that, Folkwise is a startup by a fairly young group of folklorists. And we, we recently became an LLC. And really what it is about is exploring online communities. And we do this through a weekly stream on Twitch. And this, this stream is, we watch the, the stream host, Dom, play this game with the guest person. And then we have an interview about halfway through. Then we go back to just playing games and just being, bouncing around in general and discussing online communities. That kind of ties in to, well, I'm not going to get into that just yet because we'll step on your toes about why I'm here. 
Well, that's actually, you, you like Jacob and Sam transitioned me beautifully to kind of why you are here. And this is why I have friends because otherwise I wouldn't be able to make it from one point in my life to the next. So let's go ahead and dive into why you are here, uh, Kendrick, because to your point where I think you were going with this is that Chiefs fans, I think, reflect what you're talking about in a big way. We are passionate, we're crazy, and a lot of us have grown up with this. Uh, Sam Blecka, Jacob, me fall into that category. You do not. You are you are really an interesting person to me in many ways, but specifically in this way because you came to football late as a fan, as a diehard fan. And now you you and I will converse maybe not daily, but it's pretty close. And you will send me some really good questions that either I haven't had to think about for a very long time or that I haven't thought about as a Chiefs fan. And so just if you wouldn't mind before we get into the kind of the questions um, that you might have, because what we thought would be interesting is bringing you on because I know I've been guilty of this where we, we as Chiefs fans look at it and go, well, the Chiefs are good now. We've got a lot of bandwagon fans. And I don't, and now that I'm, you know, not 10 years old, I look at this as more of like, it's an opportunity to share that community, kind of what you're talking about with what you do at Folk, uh, Folk Live. So Sean, you, can I cut you off for just a second? Your, your ID doesn't say 10 anymore. <laughs> That's also fair, because uh, everything else, my fiance will attest uh, with the baseball card slash sword collection slash weird comic book collection that I have still very much 10 years old. But I wanted to bring you on, Kendrick, because you've, I thought it would be a good opportunity for you to ask us questions that maybe you've had been hesitant to ask um, or wanted to get out there, but didn't maybe, maybe felt like you were going to overwhelm me or something like that, which would have been ridiculous. I love talking about this stuff. And I thought if there are other fans out there or people like us who know, who have friends who are new to football, they would have the opportunity to maybe answer these questions or feel like those questions were answered for them. Before we dive into what you have for us, though, how did you come to football? Is it as simple as Patrick Mahomes exists or is it, was it more of a progression of a series of events with football that, you, that came to your life? Yes. Um, <laughs> this is, um, it is a series of events, but it is also just, oh, this is, a really good, this is really fun to watch. So it really started out with my grandmother, honestly. She just would not stop talking about Patrick Mahomes and what a nice, what a nice guy he was. We have a weekly routine. We go up and take, go up to Kansas City and take care of him. And but she would always say something about how nice Patrick Mahomes is. Kind of started from there. In for the Super Bowl of nineteen, I was living, living in Kentucky at the time, and I figured, why not? I, and I just had, I just decided to have a Super Bowl party. Invited my friends. Only two people showed up. So, and I like. 49ers were winning, winning, winning. And I'm just like, fine, I'm just going to cook my wings and not pay attention to the game. I turn around and come back into the, into the living room, and suddenly the Chiefs are on top. And I'm like, yes, this is my hometown. This is Kansas City. This is, what, this is where I grew up. Well, it's not where I grew up, but it's, I split my time between, it, between the farm and Kansas City. Started the 2020 season. I didn't watch the first game. Um, they because I figured, like, my mom told me to watch it. I just kind of blew it off. I watched, I think, 
pop star in every stop, never stopping, Andy Samberg movie instead. So, but the second game, because my mom kept talking about Clyde Edwards Lowe. And so the second game I started watching, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is an amazing thing to watch, this team and how they work together. I'd kind of, like on the periphery, kind of been like um, aware of football, but I'd never really gotten into it. And my mom, my mom started answering, asking me questions. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Who do I go to? Who do I? Oh, Deegan. Deegan knows all about this stuff. So the first text we showed and used, it was, can you explain something about this game to me? And you, your response was, oh, my God, I never, I never imagined this would happen. That's true. So, yeah. I never did imagine this would happen. <laughs> <laughs> so moving to the season, I started to gain more interest. And it's not just in Mahomes or Clyde. It's like watching the entire unit work as one. And at some point, I decided to buy uh, Madden 21. And so my brother and I played, played this. Mind you, we always play on the same team because neither of us like to lose. And if one wins or the other, <laughs> it's not good. Okay, I have to stop you right there because this is one of the most unique things I've ever heard. <laughs> that is objectively insane. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> They're too competitive to play against each other, so we're just going to ignore that. Listen, really I stepped are. out of the room for a second, and I come back into... Two grown men don't want to lose, so they both play on the same team in Madden as adults. But as a follow-up question, have we gotten you to go out and find a copy of ESPN 2K5 yet? Because I think Sean and I talk about it oh. at least once every other week. Oh, I'll buy him an Xbox and bring and just let him borrow, like buy him his own copy. I have not, but I did play NFL Blitz with Sega Dreamcast. Yes. Yes, that's okay. We're 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 two thirds of the way there. We're we're okay. going at a good pace. Uh, qu- quick video game nerd uh, input. I wasn't aware the Dreamcast made it long enough to get to have NFL Blitz. I <laughs> that is news yeah. to me. <laughs> it's, I still got it somewhere. Actually, that's amazing. And that's kind of like to your point, Sam. Like we've we've you really have. It's one of those things where it's like if you're a teacher, you do better teaching when like you have to act you learn something more and you become more proficient in something if you have to teach it. Um, when I was certain that we had to have you on the podcast was when you asked, you sent a question and it's all it said was, so what about Tony Gonzalez? And my response was, well, what about him? Cause like that could open up hours of me going on, which I'm going to try to avoid here tonight. But you said, well, I don't really know a lot about him. And the, only equivalent I have to imagine, Jacob, you'll have to let me know if this is how, if I'm close once JJ gets old enough, but the closest equivalent to how I felt that I've been able to come up with is when a father's son shows definitive interest in whatever his father's passion is. And it's just like, oh my God, let me show you my world. Because Tony Gonzalez is such like a key point in our childhood and being able to give like that to someone for the first time who's close to my age was a big deal. So without further ado, I, I am curious what you've got for us. Cause you, you, for those who don't know, Sam has a notebook and apparently didn't fill it, but like 
has a page or two, three pages, Jesus wept, of questions. So we'll try to rip through here tonight. Um, so Kendrick, uh, obviously it doesn't necessarily have to just be you asking questions, us answering this can turn into discussions and we'll just get through what we can tonight. But let's go ahead and get into it so we can get through as many of these as possible. What have you got for us, man? I actually, uh, I got, I got to cut you guys off real quick. I'm starting to put this together. Kendrick has a lot of money. He owns notebooks and can afford Madden 21. <laughs> if only. Oh my God. We wish. So I actually only have one page of like actual questions. The rest are notes that th- and th- things that I can go back to and um, refer to, especially when, when talking about like the connection of folklore to football. That sort of thing. The first question, well, the questions that I'm going to ask are not really like Chiefs specific, they're more in general. And so the first question I have is how does a player transition from playing college, college ball to being at the top echelon to play an NFL ball? There are, I know there are schools like LSU who are basically NFL combine schools, but how does a player do that? Well, Sam Blecka, you're the closest we've got going from high school to college. So why don't you start with that one? Oh, how I wish I could be the ultimate answer of college to the NFL because then <laughs> we'd all be not recording on – and I wouldn't be recording on an iPhone on top of the mountain. But, no, it, it, yeah, there, there's big jumps every, every time you transition to a new level. So, again, for me playing – not even at a, at a high college level at a, at an NAIA school, but even still jumping from high school to a small college experience is, is quite a bit because you have to think about it in the terms of the number of players that play at each level within the entire United States. So in high school, you're looking at, I couldn't even tell you how many high schools there are in the United States, but I mean, every single high school has, to fill out an entire team of a minimum of 22 players for both sides of the field, more likely looking at 50 players tops. Now you're looking at one out of every single one of those high school teams might make it to college in, in a broad sense. So when you're looking at cutting down every single high school team to a college setting, one or two players from every high school team can make it to college. Now, when you take that to the pros, you're looking at 1% of every college player makes it to the pros. So the level of talent that jumps at every single expansion is just astronomical. So I'll just put it in my perspective as far as an offensive lineman. When I came from a small Kansas school playing offensive line, I was one of the biggest people that played the position within the competitive nature we had. I went to college and I was in the bottom half of size. And that, again, that's a small school. So, again, I'm 6'3". At the time, I was about 300 pounds. That cut down me being one of the smaller offensive linemen on our team in college. Now you have to think, I'm not even close to being athletic enough to play in a Division I school. Those guys are just monsters. And then you take the top percentage of those guys to the NFL. So the jump is not not only an athletic and athletic ability jump that they have to make because the guys that are playing in the NFL are just elite athletes. It's also what we talk about that I'm sure if you've listened to the podcast, you've heard us say understanding the speed of the game, learning the playbook, learning, developing into the player or into an NFL player, because 
you'll see guys that in college just performed, put up astronomic numbers and come to the pros and look like pedestrians because not only are they now competing against the most athletic players in the world, they might not understand the speed of the game or the understanding of how, how complex an NFL playbook can be. So it's not just the athletic jump that we see these guys have to make. It's the, it's the intellect, in, intellectual jump that they have to make. And that's why we don't always see guys that you think would be sure, surefire wins to make it in the NFL because they just can't make one of those two jumps effectively, essentially. So long-winded that it's, it's tough, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a good – a good answer and Jacob feel free to chime in here but like Tim Tebow I think is a great example Tim Tebow is arguably the greatest college player of all time like you can make that argument and someone will have to like debate you on it at least and he got to the NFL level and he he couldn't do it like he couldn't adjust like there's there's the joke that he's like one of the only quarterbacks to win a playoff game which is a, a remarkably small list Jacob brought this up on a podcast a couple weeks back but Technically, he could never make that adjustment. He just couldn't adjust to the speed of the game. Jacob, you can want to chime in, go right ahead. I was just going to say, you know, Sam Blecka has mainly nailed it of, you know, there is a lot of genetics in making the NFL. Most of and the And another thing is just there's so much projections of football players because of that. It's the only sport you see really where there's time needed from – the end of high school until the NFL where guys just have to put on body mass because they're not large enough. Essentially baseball, you have a long time too, but that's just getting your, your hand-eye coordination to the right place and understanding, getting to see everything else that's out there, which is also, you know, insane as well. But just from a body standpoint, I think that is one of the biggest things that it takes to go from college to NFL. Right. And I will, and one last thing from me on this and, uh, we can go as long as we want on this, but like last thing I, I have off the top of my head is that even once you get to the NFL, the ability to stay is, is so beyond anything I could probably imagine. Like you, you, you hear stories about the elite of the elite and their study habits and what they did in the off season and their, their workout routines to try and shore up any weakness they might have. There's on top of, you know, just being able to fill out and athletically belong, then to, to Sam's point, like being able to adjust to the speed of the game, being on, being able to be honest enough with yourself to acknowledge, I'm not good enough in this area. I need to improve this thing. Not to bring up his name right away, but Tony Gonzalez talks about that all the time where he, he led the league in drops in his rookie year. And he said, I never wanted that to happen again. And he spent his entire offseason just using jug machines and working on making sure his hands were ready. And that's why he's so famous as a tight end for catching the ball out in front with his hands instead of allowing the ball to come to his body the way we see so many receivers do. He would catch it out front to make sure that he could secure it and there was no rattling against pads or anything. So even the jump from like Sam's talking about, you're talking about the size, the athleticism, and then being able to adjust to the speed of the game and then continue to be honest enough with yourself to know where you need to improve and be willing to make those improvements. Like it's, it's a series of things. And I honestly don't know what goes on in a player's head to be able to get them to that level, but there you go. Have you ever, uh, Kendrick, have you ever been to an NFL game before? I have not. I don't like the okay. and, but yeah. That's honestly one of my favorite experiences going to an NFL game with someone that 
doesn't understand football very well or is or is new to the game or has never experienced it because seeing these guys on TV is one thing. When you see them up close and see how big and fast they actually are, it, it really puts in perspective of what kind of athleticism it takes to, to even make an NFL team, not even to be a star. Because that, I mean, just seeing, again, what 4-2 speed actually is with Tyreek Hill is really hard to comprehend until you see it in person because it's, it's, it's very impressive. I remember going to – I occasionally get a chance to work Chiefs games as a spotter for national uh, radio broadcasts that come in. And I remember a few years back when they played the Seahawks at Arrowhead, and it was when they stopped Marshawn Lynch on fourth down uh, to get the turnover on downs. And I, I get a media pass, so I got to go down on the field. And to Sam's point, uh, Russell Wilson coming out and to this day is considered a quote-unquote undersized quarterback. I've stood next to the man, pretty big to me. Uh, he's he's huge. He's this massive human being, and he looks petite next to the rest of these guys. So even taking someone like that who may be undersized, like that's another element to it. It's like you have to work that much harder and be that much better athletically in other areas if you're going to be an undersized player. So someone like Tyler Matthew be, be considered undersized? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially for the position, I would say. Like, he's, what, 5'9", buck 80, buck 85 at best? Yeah. I looked up his stats earlier today. Yeah. He's – especially for what they ask him to do, which is play close to the line of scrimmage, which is typically like, you know, Sam and Jake will back me up. Like, Bernard Pollard's a name we talk about a lot as being a traditional box safety with the Chiefs back in the day. And he was like 6'2", 220. And you're asking Tyron Matthew, who's, what, five inches shorter than that and probably uh, weighs like 40 pounds less than that to go do similar things and then more. Uh, to, to ask somebody who's that size to do the things that he does, that's another reason why he's remarkable because he is definitively undersized for his position. 6'1", 224 for Bernard Pollard. That was close. That was pretty close. Also walked by Bernard Pollard at Coco Keys before a Chiefs preseason game and didn't realize the Chiefs are staying in their zone. I saw him, I was like, yeah, I think that's Bernard Pollard. <laughs> didn't, didn't read much into it. The physicality required, um, like, this is all new to me, because I'm general, generally used to being the biggest one in the room, no matter where I go. And, like, the revelation that it's these, these men are so much bigger than what you see, than the, as the little spiky-footed gremlin men on the television, it, it, it impresses me. You know what I mean? And that's the other thing is like 300 when people talk about guys being slow at the combine, like offensive linemen, Sam, you could probably talk about this where you watch an offensive tackle run a, a 40 time. It's like 5.6. That's still a 330 pound man who ran 40 yards in less than six seconds. And he's considered slow it, again. It is hard to comprehend. I agree with, with Sam that getting to be at the game, is it does put things in perspective because when you start to watch Tyree Kill kind of pull away from other guys who run 4.4, 4.3 uh, seconds for 40 yards, it puts things in a very different perspective for you. And the, to be able to be that strong and that fast to hold up is a different kind of animal. You're just a different person. All right, Kendrick, what next do you got for us here? This is something that's been a recurring topic on this podcast, and that is the topic of Ben Neiman. My question is, 
if he's not what not the elite players that the Chiefs need, why do Andy Reid and Brett Beach keep him around? Oh God! I mean, it's been when did we draft him? Three years ago. Draft him. That's funny. Oh no way! Yeah, I was gonna say he is not. Sorry. Drafted. When was he undrafted? <laughs> Sam, me. you answered this question last week. <laughs> Halfway. No. Yeah, I think with with a guy like Ben Neiman, again, it's this comes back to the whole uh, McCole Hardman controversy that I caused apparently last year, <laughs> beginning of this year. In no way do any of us think that we are more athletic or better at football than Ben Neiman, <laughs> because obviously that is not the case. What we compare Ben Neiman to is other linebackers in the NFL, and I think what frustrates Chiefs fans about him is Though he is a sol- – I would say even a relatively solid player, he's second string at most, and they start him a lot because I think he understands the game very well. I believe he's a very intelligent player. He just doesn't have the elite physicality and, and physical traits that allow him to apply his knowledge of the game to be the, the at least a, a starting player in the NFL. That's where I think you look at uh, – Certain players are, are able to make that transition. Dan Sorensen's a good example where he is maybe not the most athletic player in the world, but he has he, he has a mentality of the game that allows him to play well in certain spots. He understands the game and he loves to hit people, which works very well for what he does for the Chiefs, which is make plays. Outside of that, again, I think Jacob said before, we always hate Dan Sorensen until he makes that game-breaking play. And it's like, that's why he's on the roster. Ben Neiman doesn't have that. That's why he's on the roster trait. And that's why he frustrates everyone in the Chiefs kingdom. I, think. I was say, I can answer it from, you know, just kind of a roster building standpoint. I'm with you that he's not as athletic mentally. He's in the right place. And that's what coaches like. Coaches like when I, I know when I put him out there, he's going to make the right play or he's going to be, he's going to try to make the right play. That's what I do know about him. And then he's going to be in the right place most of the time. Yes. Yeah. And then as far as just roster building, you know, I think part of it too is the Chiefs do not prioritize linebacker as a, oh, sorry, let me rewind. The Chiefs have not prioritized linebacker as a high need area because now over the last two years, they've drafted linebackers in the second round in successive years. And so I would say it's changed priority. And I think they are kind of seeing a fault in the ways that they had before of, okay, this is a position we can sneak guys into and not, you know, get hurt too bad. And so I think that has kind of looked them in the face at this point of, okay, you know what, if this is the guy we keep having to use, we have an issue. I do think that Ben Neiman is one that the more I listen to Nate Taylor on his podcast at the athletic um, times ours, he does with Josh Briscoe and Seth Kaiser. I think one thing that he does bring that maybe I haven't valued as much is the ability not just to be where he needs to be, but to set the defense. Because traditionally, that's something that Anthony Hitchens does. And if Anthony Hitchens is not available, they really don't have another guy in the middle of that defense that I think any of us necessarily would feel comfortable with doing that at this point. And that is a skill, like knowing the playbook enough to where you can grab a safety and say, no, you need to be five yards back, uh, further back than you are right now. That's your zone. Or be able to like tap the defensive tackle and it's like rotate left and everyone shifts over once uh, one gap responsibility. That is, that is a skill and maybe not a game-breaking skill or one that shows up in a stat sheet. But I think 
again, from my, from my angle of answering your question, Kendrick, is I think that's why he gets a lot of time on the field because he does do those things. Like Sam and Jacob said, like he's where he needs to be, whether or not he can explode to make a play is a whole different thing, but he also, I'd be willing to bet is the one that gets what's called the green dot. The guy who's kind of in charge of setting the defense. If Anthony Hitchens is not available to do that. The green dot means he has a mic or a headset in his helmet. So just for those that don't understand what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So yeah, he (laughs) actually gets the play call from the defensive coordinator in his helmet and he relays that to the defense and helps get it set. That is actually something I did not think to write down to to ask about. Because, like, I, I kind of wanted it in passing if they have a headset in the helmet. That's interesting that there are people, that there are players on the field that do have headsets. Yeah, and it, it's a system that, that gets cut off just before the play starts. So they have a certain amount of time that the headset's actually active, and then it'll cut off so a defensive coordinator can't, it, during the play, be talking to the player to be like, oh, it's obviously this play and can read it. So... It's only active for a certain period of time before the football is snapped. I'll be real. I'm not sure I knew that, but uh, yeah, that's good to know. But yeah, quarterbacks typically, Kendrick will have quarterbacks will have it because they're communicating either with the head coach or the offensive coordinator. And then Sean, were you, were you talking about the, the cutoff? Were you talking about the sound cutoff part? Yeah, so I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was one of the. I believe that was one of the times the Patriots also got in trouble was because theirs were not turning off. Shocker. That's the only reason I knew. Shocker. Okay, so you, you, Sean, you and I have talked about this before. Um, and, well, we've kind of danced around the subject. We've not actually talked about the subject. What do the stats really mean? Like, we can look at player stats comparing oh. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers, you can see, has, like, statistically is a better football player. But Tom Brady, who I refrain from doing what I usually do when I say his name. For those at home, that's spew profanity. Yeah, that, <laughs> that too. Uh, <laughs> so what does stats really mean, and why has Tom Brady been so successful at getting to the Super Bowl and winning it? Stats are utilized for fantasy football purposes, and that's pretty much their value in most cases. I think the button word that people typically throw out when you talk about a guy like Tom Brady is intangibles because there are things that you can't record on a statistic basis that certain players like him possess that allow him to be as successful as he is. I'll I'll give an example of that. So in the Super Bowl last year, in 2020, Chiefs and Buccaneers are close for a minute, and then it all goes right to hell in a handbasket. I think the biggest difference in that game is Tom Brady and what he was willing to do where what where Patrick Mahomes was not. And that's not to say Patrick Mahomes can't learn this, but Tom Brady saw a definitive weakness in the middle of the Chiefs defense. So like the linebacking core, so the mid-range area of the passing game and said, I'm not going to bother trying to throw a bomb unless it's absolutely there for me. I'm going to pick on the middle of the field until they try to stop me at which point we'll go deep if it's there. And if they decide they don't want to do this, I'll take five to eight yards of play and I'll get first downs every single time on second or third down. We'll convert and it'll be fine. And Mahomes saw the lead creeping away and said, I have to make a play. And he kept trying to force the ball downfield. Granted, some of those throws, like 
should have been caught and were tremendous plays. But I think that's one of the steps that Patrick Mahomes is going to have is a learning experience of when to take plays that are there. This is something he's talked about in the off season, which is hard to think about when someone's been as good as he's been this early. But I think that's a big difference. Statistically, does it look great for Tom Brady to be dinking and dunking for a majority of the Super Bowl? No, but it was absolutely an effective attack and an efficient way to get the win. To tie into your last question, Ben Neiman has a lot of intangibles, but the tangibles aren't there. So that's the reverse of a guy like Willie Gay, who you, you see what he brings to the table as far as his physicality. And it a lot of times shows up on a stat sheet, but what Ben Neiman brings to the table doesn't always attribute to stats for him, but it may for other players. So it's the players that can combine the two aspects that are your elite of the elite. So I'm assuming you're, you're probably new enough to the game that you didn't get to watch Peyton Manning a lot. Actually, Peyton Manning was his final game with the Broncos is one of the first Super Bowls that sticks out in my mind. Yeah, so I think he is – his mental almost gymnastics at the quarterback position is probably the best example of what intangibles can do, not only for a team, but for your stats as well. And so the stats question for me is hard. I'll, I won't take too much time because I've already blurted too much about this, but it because they mean a lot, obviously, in some cases, but – you look at a guy, Matt Stafford, puts up astronomical numbers, has been to the playoffs like twice in his entire career and never been able to win games. So he's, he's a good example of why stats can mean absolutely nothing at times. Really, Kendrick, the best way is like stats are a part of the story. They're not the whole story. Um, and this is where I think places like Pro Football Focus are really good about giving part of the story, but also a good example of why you shouldn't put your entire opinion on stats. Because there may be some things that these guys do that you will never show up on a stat sheet. BJ Kissel, who now used to be a Chiefs insider with actually the Kansas City Chiefs, who now is, I think he's an editor-in-chief or something like that with Kansas City Sports Network, which is a new network that just popped up, talks about the difference in the locker room when Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew came in there. Both are statistically viable um, at their positions, but Frank Clark fell off compared to what he was in Seattle, but still brought something to the team, which was this dog-like aggression, just this pit bull mentality of we're going to come for you and there's nothing you can do about it. So take stats as as part of it. Um, You definitely need stats to get into the Hall of Fame, but they don't don't always show the full story. So they are are a piece of it. Yeah, that is... Explains that explains that discrepancy more because, like, it's really frustrating to watch someone like Tom Brady, who we love to hate, who seemingly the entire league loves to hate, not just the fans. Yes, um, correct. Is <laughs> <laughs> an accurate statement. Um, and well, that's that's actually funny because I think as a Chiefs fan, only recently have I come to have disdain for Tom Brady. I would say during the years that the Chiefs were terrible, I loved Tom Brady. I loved the Patriots. I loved what they did. But until they come into opposing us from winning, that's when I hate Tom Brady. <laughs> because I love I used to love watching Tom Brady and the Patriots. They were probably my second favorite team in the NFL just because it was fun to watch 
them dismantle other teams when they don't seem like they should be able to do it. Their roster was never made up to be able to just annihilate a team, but because of what Bill Belichick and Tom Brady could bring to the table, it it was a fun fun experience to watch. So, and it is it is something that like Tom Brady was the underdog. Kendrick, and you'll find this. I'm as you follow the NFL, you might have already seen it, but there's going to be you'll see it with the Chiefs. The more and more successful they are, if they continue this trend, where people love an underdog, they love it. And that's why the Chiefs yeah. were such a, a popular team in 2019 when they went to the Super Bowl because they hadn't won it in 50 years. Tom Brady was that guy for a long time, just without the pedigree that Patrick Mahomes had. He was a sixth-round pick that took his team to the Super Bowl after their Pro Bowl and All-Pro quarterback got hurt, and he still got them there. And so just seeing that and seeing like this rise of a guy who like no one expected it from, to Sam's point, like he was very popular. It's just after a certain point when they continue to win, you, it's, you live, it's the dark night quote. You lived long enough to see yourself become the villain. And that's what Tom Brady is now. Also, he just has a stupid face. Um, that's also true. Following along that line of thinking, what happened in the, I don't know which one it was, but it was the Eagles versus the Patriots and um, Nick Foles was in. Um, what happened during that game? Why did... Why did the Patriots lose with, with Tom Brady? Oh, God. Uh, the best I can come up with is Jesus Christ possessed Nick Foles and decided <laughs> the Patriots' reign was done. That was okay. my answer, too, was sometimes guys get on a run, and that was Nick Foles. Uh, Doug Peterson figured out the only way Nick Foles could throw the football accurately was to make him run the read option every time and then throw. It was just kind of a wacky thing to watch. But also, Tom Brady has lost a good number of Super Bowls, but that's because he's played so many. So it's cross-sport reference here, our favorite thing to do. It's like LeBron, you know, the guys that want to trash LeBron are like, wow, he's lost that many finals. It's like, you realize you just argued for him and you're arguing against him, right? So keep in mind, Brady has lost a decent amount of Super Bowls as well, which is, again, why we can't fully trash on the guy because he's been in so many. Like, what's he been in now, nine, ten? at this point in his career and he's won seven of them. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's 10, but I can't remember. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it's 10 and he's won seven, which is more than any other NFL franchise has won as a, as a franchise. He is more than any of them. So to this point, you get to enough, you're going to lose a few. And, and sometimes miracles do happen. Like the underdog wins, you know, a lot of weird things had to happen in that, in that game for it to happen. Like you had to have a play fake work where you threw a pass to your quarterback. You had to have Nick Foles play like an all pro hall of fame quarterback for the playoffs after coming in off the bench and having never shown that in his career, the, the stars had to align for that to happen. And honestly, like that's why those games are so unique and special and memorable because they are so rare. 9.9 times out of 10, Tom Brady is not losing to Nick Foles. Like, it just wouldn't happen. Uh, Nick Foles is a perennial backup quarterback. But that point one, magic happened. Like, there really is no other explanation other than it was just this weird series of coincidences. Yeah, and don't be remiss that Tom Brady hasn't won Super Bowls like that as well. Look at the Seahawks. 
when they decided not to run Marshawn Lynch and tried to pass the ball and Mark, uh, Malcolm Butler picked the ball off and won him the game. So it, it, it happens to the best teams. It happens to the worst teams as far as getting games that shouldn't they shouldn't win. The Super Bowl just happens to be the one that everyone remembers because that happens every other week in the NFL where a team will win a game and it's like, how – how did that work? I don't understand. It's just the Super Bowl, their memorable one. So, yeah, no, Tom Brady, is he, he lost that one, but he kind of – it was balancing the balancing the scales for the Seahawks when, uh, defeat or him beating the Seahawks in the Super Bowl previous. I would argue that Tom Brady's first Super Bowl win is – is a if, if Tom Brady's career stops there, is, is a Nick Foles-type Super Bowl because he's a six-round draft pick who took over for a Pro Bowl quarterback and still won a Super Bowl. And if, his, if that's the only one he gets, he's a great story, and that's it. But he just happened to be Tom Brady. As long as we're on the topic of Tom Brady and the Patriots, what do you all think about Mac Jones? Because to me, he looks like a Tom Brady clone, just younger, because he stays in the pocket, doesn't really move, and then just swings these bullet passes straight like five or seven yards at a time, just like Tom Brady. I, I can start on this one. I like to be a, the self-proclaimed college QB evaluator. Guys like Mac Jones are some of the hardest guys to evaluate for this reason alone. The guys on their team, Alabama, are so good that they're throwing to them, you know, five to ten yards wide open. And that doesn't happen in the NFL. Your guys are half a yard open. The windows are just so much tighter. And so I think that's why you didn't get a consistent evaluation from even the NFL experts on Mac Jones is because it was so hard to evaluate a guy that was throwing to a wide open Jerry Judy, a wide open Jalen Waddle. He just had, you know, a ras- roster packed with NFL guys that were open constantly. I'm saying the jury's out on the guy, but if I was choosing a route, I would say, I just don't think it's going to work. It, I, he's not going to be Tom Brady. I'll start there, but I'm also just not even sure he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. I don't like a lot of the things I've seen from him. Arm strength's not that crazy. I do agree. You've said all the things that are very accurate about him. He's in the pocket. He's in third deep. That could also be a Chiefs kingdom equivalent of Brady Quinn when he came to the Chiefs of, hey, he's not going to move out of the pocket. He's not going to throw it down the field. He's not going to win you a single football game. That was the Brady Quinn part. But that's where my brain's at on the guy. Jury is out. I hope Jacob's wrong, but that's just because Mac Jones on my dynasty football team. That's the only reason I want Mac Jones to be good is he's on my dynasty fantasy football team and he'll be on my fantasy football team as long as I play in this league. So I'd like him to be good, but yeah, it's, it's a weird thing in the NFL where to Jacob's point, you, you literally laid out exactly what Tom Brady does and does so well. And there have been a lot of guys who do that. And that's, that's what makes them not successful. Again, it's, it's one of those things like the biggest strengths for one person can be the biggest weaknesses for another, even within yourself. I mean, we'll see. Matt Jones has a, a pretty solid roster to complement his skill set around him. So we'll see. And he's got you know the greatest head coach of all time. So there are a lot of pluses going for him, but it's a lot to put on a rookie quarterback who we don't really know anything about yet. I mean, preseason football, again, to Sam's point from your first question, even preseason football is way is slower and less complicated once actual than actual like in season games. So 
I, I would say let's he does like profile in terms of play style the way a Tom Brady would play, but let's see it against live NFL defenses that aren't trying to hide what they're going to do in the regular season before we, we crown him king. Seven Super Bowls is a lot of Super Bowls to match up with. Yeah, and I think this is this is a conversation. I, it, it, we've had it before when talking about uh, when we were discussing the draft of do players get set up for failure based off where they get drafted? Because if you look at uh, five years ago, six years ago, Mac Jones is a fourth-round fourth quarterback at best. He's not a first-round quarterback. In that case, if Mac Jones comes in as a fourth-round quarterback and is relatively successful, you look at it as the biggest win in the world. The problem is, is as a first-round quarterback, even if he is mildly successful, it is going to be looked at under such a harsh microscope that he could fail even when he's succeeding if that makes sense, and that he, because he's not performing at the level that is expected of a pick that high, even if he's not a, if he's not an elite of an elite quarterback, they could recycle him very quickly, and you could see him just fall off the map because he doesn't live up to the standards that people are, are placing on him. So I think he, he went to probably the best circumstance he could have because this is what Bill Belichick is used to coaching. This is the kind of quarterback that he knows how to coach because that's what Tom Brady was. They are very similar as far as their overall ability. He's a, Mac Jones is more athletic than, than Tom Brady. That's People think that Mac Jones is not athletic. He's actually a pretty athletic guy for being not athletic in NFL standards. So it, it, if he fails, I think the reason he fails is not because I don't think he's good enough to be an NFL quarterback. I think it's because he fails because he was drafted in the first round. And that is not where he needed to be drafted, in my opinion. So if he was not drafted where he should have been drafted, was it because, conversely, because of where he was drafted, is he actually that good? Or did Devontae Smith make him look that good? Oh, see, now you're talking about what makes college scout, well, NFL scouts, NFL scouts, because that's the question. Let's so we should throw it to our regional NFL, or college scout, which is Jacob Allen. <laughs> and, and that's exactly like I said, you know, the tough thing looking at the guys is like, you're right. Devontae Smith, you know, was getting five yards open on three yard routes. It's like, how, wait, that math doesn't work out. <laughs> He's that open. And so that's what it is. Another example equivalent to that is Joe Burrow's team was so good his senior year, and he was another tough one to evaluate. And I think that's why we're all sitting here on a podcast on a Tuesday night in our, you know, very modest residential homes instead of in our mansions with, you know, our fire pit in the background like Cliff Kingsbury. Excuse me, Jacob. I am on top of a mountain currently in a gazebo. (laughs) Use that as you will. Sam, do you own that mountain, though? To your knowledge, I do. <laughs> okay. If possession is still cool. nine-tenths of the law right now, I am the only person up here, so. <laughs> For the record, I do want to – we haven't really we've, – we've joked about it, but, like, I do want to give Sam Blecka some major props. His dedication to this podcast is like nothing we could have ever thought. He's literally sitting on top of a mountain in Branson, Missouri, so that he can get phone reception – in the middle of the dark. That's just, and I just appreciate you, Sam, for it because he makes it work. Uh, it's all about yeah, the grind. It's all about the grind. <laughs> but uh, Kendrick, to your point, like this is a, it's a good question. It's one like I don't, I, I don't know if we'll have a good answer for. It. I think this is why 
the NFL draft is such an exciting time because all we have are hopes and dreams and, and expectations. We don't have a reality yet. So as far as we know, they're all Hall of Famers. And that's why it's such an exciting time because Devontae Smith, yeah, he's, he's, he was blowing guys away in college. But is he big enough, fast enough? Does he have the footwork and the route running to beat guys at the NFL level? Because Jalen Ramsey's not going to let you beat him off the line of scrimmage. It's, again, like Devontae Smith was great in college. Let's see what he is in the NFL, like as good as he was. So that's, that's a question you could have for literally any collegiate athlete that comes to the NFL level. Second to last question that I have written down. Fairly recently, I read an article in The Athletic that said um, coaches are becoming increasingly unpredictable in how they play the game, especially when it comes to playing preseason games. As the three of you, as longtime fans, what changes have you seen in how, they, in how coaches play the game, and what do you think of them? Like, what, what are your feelings on them? One, that's a baller question. Two, you know Kendrick has gone full diehard NFL fan when he makes statements like, I read in The Athletic, because you have to pay <laughs> money to be able to read The Athletic. So this, yeah. for the record, guys, for a guy who watched the 2019 Super Bowl and decided I'm going all in, paid money to get to The Athletic, and then asked a dime question like that. I just um, – Again, the excitement of watching sports and doing podcasts is making predictions. I mean, right – I just want to say 30 seconds in, I said that Sam Kendrick was rich. It sounded more and more. Splurge on the athletic. That more along look. the lines of me being fiscally irresponsible. <laughs> oh God. That's a great question though. Cause there have been like taking out rule changes and everything and everything scheme wise, the NFL has changed drastically. I'll let one of you guys jump in here first. Before we talk about, just the changes in coaches themselves. I think the root of this question, the root, the root answer to explain a lot of it is that coaches are on such a short leash leash now for a long time. Coaches were given quite a bit of time to come in, help develop a team now. And, and we've talked about it on the podcast before is you get two years. Sometimes a GM and a coach get two years. And so you're seeing, I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the changes you're making. Now, the changes are kind of crazy at times. And, and I think we've, we've seen lots of experiments that don't work. And then you've got guys like Andy Reid, who just seem to be ahead of the curve constantly. And people are trying to catch up. So I think the root of it, the, the root answer to the question, before we dive deep into how it's changed, is there's such a short leash that people are doing everything they can to stay in the league in that position. That is actually a really important thing to, to remember in this, because I think that's probably partially why the biggest change that at least I've, I've seen in the NFL comes on the, for scheme wise comes on the offensive side, because for the longest time, the biggest question with quarterbacks, specifically quarterbacks was, has he played in a pro style offense? And typically what that meant was, can he play under center? Because for a long time, it was thought that guys who played strictly out of the shotgun were not adequate quarterbacks to play in the NFL. Like they wouldn't transition well. Um, traditionally, they were getting the, it was thought that they were getting a lot of the play calls from the sideline, a lot of the play adjustment from the sideline instead of making those calls themselves. 
And so they were thought to be lesser quarterbacks, lesser players, not able to make a transition to the NFL. And I think for me, offensively, that's been the biggest shift is watching the NFL go, okay, college athletes are really successful doing these things. Those are similar concepts to the things that we do, or maybe we can design offenses around what they do. That's more and more what you see. Um, Jacob mentioned it with Nick Foles. The quote unquote read option was not a thing in the NFL, which is basically a shotgun play where the quarterback feels like he's going to hand off to the running back. And then in that split second has to make a decision based on what the defensive ends are doing, what the linebackers are doing, whether or not he's actually going to give the ball to the running back or pull it back and run or throw the ball himself. That never happened in the NFL 10 years ago. It never did. It was a rare, rare thing. I, I'll make a couple recommendations. The first one, for the poor people in the podcast, hop on YouTube and watch, you know, just go search every single year for football highlights. So start there. That's, that's for the, the cheaper people because you've literally asked a question that somebody probably could have an eight-hour solo podcast to talk about the history of the style of football and probably not even finished yet just because of how much it's changed. Of, and I would say a simple answer to that is they used to think running the football was the only way to win games. Now they figured out passing is actually the most efficient way to get yards and points. That's the simple answer to your question. It's just changed so much over time. The other one I would say is one guy that actually does a really nice job of the history of football is a dear friend of mine, Peyton Manning talk weekly, but <laughs> Now, this is for the rich people out there. You have to have ESPN Plus in order to afford Peyton's places. I just renewed myself. Now, caveat there, I had it turned off for about seven months because none of my sports that I watch on there were in season. So I just turned it back on with college football season coming back on. I had to watch KU football because I like to put myself through pain. But that's some, I, like to feel, I like to be in the know. That's, that's some... God, I didn't know you were a masochist, Jacob. Good Lord. <laughs> I like to be in the know on all local teams. It's just more fun because then you can talk to other people about it. As far as KU football goes, there's like maybe five people on Twitter that you can speak to about KU football. That's not just, you know, either a homer or a complete troll. But that would be the other one I think is really interesting is Peyton's places. He does a lot of different the history of football things. And as I was answering part one about YouTube of running and passing, Passing the football was illegal at one point in the game of football. That is one episode that Peyton actually talks about, which is pretty hilarious. It's why, like, as Chiefs fans for the longest time, the player we were most excited about was a running back, regardless of the year. Like, we went from Priest Holmes to Larry Johnson to Jamal Charles. And we were, we were always most excited about whoever the running back was because the style of offense was you run the ball to win. Now the, the phrase is you throw the ball to win, you run when you're winning, which the idea is that you're going to be able to keep the clock running if you run the ball. So even if the play doesn't go anywhere, at least the clock still runs down and it kills the opportunity for your opponent to make a comeback. But it's, I mean, that's offensively, that's been the biggest thing. Defensively, I'll flip to the other side and I'll let you, Sam Jacob, jump in here if you want as well. But defensively, I think you've seen linebackers if you're if you're not a super athlete you better be a genius 
which to Ben Neiman's credit is probably why he's on the football team, because you have to be able to play in all three phases of the game. Back in the day, like you could have linebackers who would play first and second down, and then you would like bring in an extra safety or a line, a different linebacker who was strictly there to cover. And now with the explosion of passing, like you don't see these big thumping linebackers whose job it is to stop the run. It's, it's all guys who are athletic and able to, to get north and south quickly and move sideline to sideline with ease and flexibility because they have to, because the passing game dictates that now. I think what you're trying to say, Sean, is we talked earlier about professional athletes being bigger and stronger than us. They've figured out how to get even bigger and even faster and even stronger than those guys were. Yes. Yeah, and that was going to be – exactly my point even before Sean moved to defense on offense is the the change in athleticism with the at every position because we'll talk about I'm sure if you haven't gone back Kendrick and watched the early 2000s Chiefs offensive line so we you have a understanding of what we talk about with them if you compare those guys athleticism to the current offensive line and the size of our current offensive line it's night and day because Willie Rofe is the only one of those. Er, when you look at Willie Rofe, he is the most unathletic looking individual in the world with super athleticism that just comes out of nowhere. But outside of him, when you compare the size of our offensive line today to those guys, it's completely night and day. And that was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, in some of the in some senses of some of these guys still playing. So, but then you look at guys like Derrick Henry. What position would Derrick Henry be playing 20 years ago, 30 years ago? He would be an offensive lineman almost. <laughs> like, he is the size of old offensive linemen. So the, the change in athleticism has allowed coaches to do things differently. And the one I was going to say is, you look at Tony G, when, when you talk about Tony Gonzalez, bring it back to one of your original points, what he allowed was the alteration of the tight end position. Because him and Antonio Gates, when they came into the league, brought something that tight ends didn't really have before. Today, that is just a requirement. If you're, if you're a tight end, even if you are a third-string tight end, you can't do at least some of the catching ability that Tony Gonzalez brought to the game. You're not in the NFL anymore, or you're an offensive lineman. Because that's, what, that, that's the new standard, which coaches now just have to rely upon which Tony Gonzalez brought into the league and Antonio Gates brought into the league. So it's a a big aspect of coaches also have to adapt to what the players bring to the NFL. I think to summarize this all up, what we're saying is the defensive tight end is the newest shift in football. (laughs) Defensive tight end makes an appearance. Because there will be four tight ends on offense, there's going to be four defensive tight ends. Oh, my but God. Really, that is kind of a summary of you look at a guy like Isaiah Simmons, we're in kind of a transition period of what do you do with a 6'4 guy that's, you know, like hovering around 240, 250 that can run sideline to sideline? They don't know yet because he's so athletic, they don't want to play him at linebacker, but he's too big to play at safety. It's just kind of wild, again, because of the athletes are getting crazier and crazier. Sam uh, Bleka, to your point, just to emphasize the difference now, Willie Rofe, when he played, this is off pro football reference, to give an idea, 6'5", 320 pounds. That's a big dude, right? That's a large guy. Current starting left tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs is Orlando Brown Jr. On pro football reference, he is listed at 6'8", 345 pounds. 
That's ridiculous. And he's not he, and he may be one of the most out of shape looking offensive linemen in the NFL. Yes, and he's not out of shape. He's just got a bit of a gift. Yeah. <laughs> he also had one of the worst NFL combines ever, ever, and still found a way to make it work. And like, and but if you put him next to Willie Rove, it's just a different thing. It's a different kind of animal. All right, Kim, you said you had one last question here? Because then I got one more for you. Okay, yeah, I was going to say I've, one last question, and then I'm, you can open up to question, questions that you have about me and whatever. Final question is, who do you got for the Super Bowl? Who's going to be in it? Well, the Chiefs are one. Objectively, they have the best team in the AFC. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Aaron Rodgers some love. I'm going to say Green Bay. I'm going to say the communication works and that he finally breaks through that NFC championship game against it. I am not. I'm actually going to buy on the Rams. I, I know that their <laughs> roster is not really deep. I just feel like this Stafford and McVay connection is going to work. And if it doesn't, delete this. <laughs> Sam, what about you? Uh, it's a rematch. <sighs> Chiefs, Chiefs Bucks again. I hope so. I mean, Bucks are just brought their entire team back. And as long as Tom Brady can do anything, it's, they're still a very dominant team in the NFC. I, actually, I hope so as well. I think that is the perfect rematch. I think it, it you know, is a lot like Warriors, Cavaliers that happened for five or six years in a row, whatever it was. But I am just worried that the Buccaneers suffer what the Chiefs did last year of, hey, we brought all our guys back. Oh, but you know what else? They're all one year older, which makes them one more year closer to being more and more injury prone. So that's the only reason I'm not sold fully on the Bucs, just because I do worry about them because they are kind of an older team. I need that matchup because I need Mahomes to get him once. I need Mahomes to get him once and be the one that takes the mantle from him. Um, Kendrick, what about yeah. you? Who do you have for Super Bowl? I, I'm going to go with Lucka. I think it's going to be a rematch. Before we wrap things up tonight, I do want to take a couple time, a little time to ask you a couple of questions, Kendrick, just because yeah. it's, it's a rare thing to have someone get into football as late in life as you did with it and to be as passionate about it as you have become um, in such a short amount of time. Part of what you do with folklore is you, you said that you, you study people, you study groups. Yeah. What's, what have you ascertained about the chief's kingdom since you've become part of it? That is a good question. I used um, to be a journalist. <laughs> Clearly that's not the case anymore on this podcast. Sean's really good with his questions. It's his answers that we have to cut him off on occasionally. It's because I don't know when to That's shut cool. up. You know, for me, folklore is really about about the people. And like you and I, Sean, can go on back and forth about statistics all the time and for as long as I want to. But it's really about like the stories behind these people and how they got to where they where they are and the diehard Chiefs fans who who wear jerseys in, in public, they don't necessarily care about where these people came from. So for me, it's I'm not just learning about the sport. Um, I'm learning about the background of the people who are playing the sport. And so things like Mike Up, things like the franchise, things like the Top 100, NFL Top 100, things like the the Hall of Fame inductions, those are the things that really grab my interest um, because you get the stories of these people. And one of my favorite, well, my number one favorite player is Tyron Matthew. And by all accounts, 
his story should not be the story of one of the best safeties in the league because he grew up in the inner city of New Orleans. His mother was absent. His biological biological father was incarcer- has been incarcerated for most of his life for murder. He was raised by his grandparents, and was a, once his grandparents um, died, he was adopted by his uncle, made a name for himself play, playing three years at LSU, was a Heisman finalist, but at the same time was released was released from the team um, his senior year because he kept he kept failing drug tests. And at the end of 2012, yeah, 2012, he checked himself into a rehab facility and then came out for the NFL scouts combine in 2013. And that's when he, when he was drafted by the Cardinals. It's stories like that and how people have grown beyond what they grown beyond the cards that they've dealt in their life. That's the stuff that really interests me. That is, has been what has pulled me so directly and so just so quickly to the NFL. Hendrick, have you, have you looked up, or come across any, you can find these on YouTube. There, it's an old series that's gone on for a long time, but it's called A Football Life. I've heard of it. I, I would highly, highly recommend that for you because it is an incredible series that has covered exactly what you're talking about, the stories of NFL athletes versus just how they performed on the field. And it's their account of what happened, those NFL athletes and then the people around them about what it is they came through to get to where they are. And for the rich people out there, uh, Sean gave the poor person one. It's also <laughs> on Amazon Prime. Uh, Christian Okoye and Derek Thomas have ones as mm. far as local players go. I have a question if Jacob can. So Jacob can <clears throat> a short amount of time to potentially think of his question if he wants to. So when we first started the podcast, one of the things that that we did was a general introduction of, of ourselves as far as our fandom within Chiefs. And one of ours was our favorite moment as a Chiefs fan, barring the Super Bowl. You have to take Super Bowl out of it, can't count that. And I'm yeah. just interested with a now, say, say two-year going on three-year, almost four-year Chiefs fan, what is Sam Kendrick's favorite memory as a Chiefs fan barring the Super Bowl? Well, I would start off by saying that it's really only been a year. Um, okay, so a year. <laughs> yeah. Gave you way too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> way too much. I need you to be um, a little more bandwagon, please. I've been a fan for three years. <laughs> <laughs> Probably say, well, an interception by Tyler Matthews is always a great play. But either the full punt return no, kickoff return by Byron Pringle against the Broncos or Dan Swanson's interception in which he ran it into in four touchdowns and like dove full out, stretched out. But I, I was really, I was really hoping you would say the Chad Henney game. <laughs> just for. Since <laughs> <laughs> so Browns week. Both pretty can solid. I, can well. I answer pretending like, can I answer pretending like I'm Sam and I only have a year yeah. of memories? Because yeah, that's mine. I'm like, I don't think I have been any more excited over the last year or so in the Chiefs fandom than that the the Chad Henney. But also what made it so great was the Tony Romo lead into that of Tony <laughs> Romo being Tony Romo. Like, I'm gonna predict this. What they're not they're gonna come up here and not run a play. You're gonna see it. 
And then they snap the ball and throw it. And then Tony just loses his mind. That made it even better for me because I was up off my chair. I, I probably honestly didn't even hear it live. I had probably had to hear the highlights. I'm like, oh, that's what he said. Okay, cool. Oh, Sam, that was a really good question. I don't think I have anything else. Kendra, do you have anything else you want to cover before I give you more props? Um, I will say that I've become my brother's party trick. He'll shout at me from the other room and ask like some some statistic from one of the Chiefs players. Like most recently, he shouted from the other room. He said, "Hey Sam, how tall is Travis Kelsey?" I said, "I said," and I responded, and he went back to it. He went. His response was to turn to the other person he was talking to and said, "See, I told you." <laughs> I guess just kind of a silly question. Why is it called a pick six? Oh, because you took a pick uh, and, and you picked the ball off. Yeah. For an interception and you took it back to the house to, for a touchdown, which is six points. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for us tonight. We really appreciate you joining us. Um, Sam Kendrick, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on, um, getting your perspective is, is a, a real treat and getting to talk football with you and in a very different way than maybe I talk about it with Jacob and Sam is always a privilege. Yeah. One more time, if you would just tell the people where they can find you for a full, uh, for your folklore, uh, live stream. Um, it's Tuesday nights at 8 PM central, uh, or 8 PM Eastern, I believe, but please, uh, give the people one more plug if you would. Folkwise on all social media, we have, we have- Folkwise on Facebook, Folkwise on Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, pretty much anything that you can think of. Yeah, we want to show up. We have general general questions about folklore, what it is, what we do. Live stream every week, eight cent, like Sean said, eight eight central, not eight central, eight, eight eastern. And we usually go until midnight or later. And I just want to thank all three of you for having me on. This has been a really great experience and has like given me the need i've had the need to talk like in-depth football with people for quite a while and i've not really been able to thank you all and i've had a great time you're very welcome man we're happy to have you you, you were awesome absolutely awesome can't thank you enough guys appreciate you guys joining us as always next week we're going to actually talk about real tangible it counts chiefs football until then, y'all stay safe out there, and we will talk to you next week.